Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. What's up, everybody? Jared here from Puzzling Company, coming to you live from the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. Awesome games that if you haven't checked out yet, you need to give it a run. Isn't that right, Zach? Yes, you are correct. Good to have you here with us today. Am I like a special guest? Do I, I, only I, I think I think we'll keep you on as a regular of the show. 58 episodes in. I'm very <laughs> glad that I've made the cut. You had a really long tryout period. Did I make it? And it sounds like I did. Yeah, I, th- I, the, I think the uh, feedback is out and people like you. I'm glad that after 58 <laughs> episodes, we've confirmed it. But I am glad that people like me. That's great. Yeah, that's always a good start. Zach, are you feeling like a kid today? I always feel like I'm a big kid, yes. You do? Yeah, I think I generally feel like I'm at times eight again all the time. Well, that's good because today we will be covering Dig It Up, Crack the Crate, A Dragon's World. Oh, okay. uh, Which we had a lot of fun playing actually with more than just Zach and I. (gasps) So hang around if you're looking for some more details. Jared, how do they do it? How do they do what, man? Scarlet Envelope every month sends me a new game with a new story and new formatting, but it all works so well. Dude, I know. It's like one month I'm catching a serial killer in the 50s. Right? But then when another one, we had to stop the second galaxy war. I know. And then the next month, I'm trying to rescue a dragon in the medieval kingdom. It's just crazy that every month they keep sending out a new game that also leads up to like this crazy secret society element. It's a gift. I don't know how they do it, but here's what I do know. If you want to go to scarletenvelope.com and use code puzzling company, all one word, you can get $10 off their catch-up bundle, which is a whole series of 13 games. Or you could just sign up monthly and journey with it. They're so fun. I'm so excited for the next one. I can't wait. Well, welcome back everybody to Puzzling Company here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. Zach, I'm going to throw it to you to tell us all a little bit about the crew, the very intentional group of people that we decided to go on this adventure with today. Yeah. So just like Nick Fury, there was an idea to create this group of people. So we decided that to play Crack the Crate, A Dragon's World, we needed the best crew. So of course, Jared and I are required to be part of that crew. We have to be, you know. We're reviewing the game. We got to be a of part course, of course, we got crew. to be. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay, anyways, but that's that's part of it. But then we decided to handpick two very smart kids. Yes. Who have affiliation with Jared. Okay, that's... I want to say that these children were not plucked from a local playground. These are indeed my children. Your actual children that you... <laughs> Zach was going down a dark path right there where... <laughs> my wording was not great. <laughs> But my uh, my daughter, Ava, and my son, Elijah, we asked them to play the game with us. At first, I will say they were not super excited. Yeah, you told me that they, because you were surprising them that we were going to yeah. have like an event to do. I told them the day before, hey, when you come home from school tomorrow, I've got a surprise for you. Yeah, and you told me that Ava's reaction to learning that it was a game or a board game that she was like, 
Oh. She was like, okay. Dang. And I was like, man, this seven-year-old sass is rough. Yeah. But I, I think it's important to mention that because her mood did not stay that way for long. Oh, no. Because this game is intended for kids her age range, which she's about to turn eight. My son is about to turn seven and up. Fox says that it's for eight and up. The target audience for this game is families, but specifically with younger kids and then like parents. Absolutely. Well, Zach, tell us this then. How does the game work and what makes it so kid friendly? Yeah. So how the game's formatted is that you get this gigantic crate and inside of it is a bunch of different things. There are three different smaller crates inside that seem a little big and weigh a little bit, as well as some instructions. You get some different books. One book is like a narrative thing that has some lore about the dragons. There is some supplies you'll need, like some tools, some paper, some story cards. But how the game functions is that you will be presented story cards and you will read them and it'll give you kind of the background and narrative of the game. And as you do them, it will tell you like which of the crates you should start on. So I I believe in this game, it's like the red one you start with. Other than the story cards, you get these like answer cards and it has three questions on them. And there'll be things like, what word do you need to open this crate? What is the answer to this question? And the final one's like, what are we looking for? And I thought it was funny that they were scratch off. It felt like we were doing like kid adult lottery tickets. Yeah. And they were scratch off. So you had to like figure it out. So between the kids and, you know, the other people playing, you have to kind of find out those answers, open up the crates. And inside of them are these uh, different eggs and other items that you get to dig through and find different materials that are useful for the game, as well as some extra little prizes. And I think that's where we want to start talking about what was so wonderful about this game is... My son and daughter really took a change to the game once it became more interactable. Yeah. And that's what I really enjoyed about this is the dig it up element of this is kids getting to use tools to crack things open, make a mess. And really the prize for them throughout the game was not winning the game. But digging through these things to get the prize inside, I'll say. Yeah, it's it's the, the discovery element. It's not the like. They did enjoy, I think, the puzzles at times, but I think what is really interactive for them, like you said, and why we liked the interactivity of this game is that it let them just almost be like little excavators. They got to rip apart these eggs and they got to try to figure out what's inside of them. They'd get like prizes or these cool little things. And at the end, uh, you might even get a little uh, baby dragon. Oh, maybe. No spoilers though, right? Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) Well, they okay, clarified, they talk about it in their interview. I'm just giving you a hard time. But I also liked how everything was used. There weren't a whole lot of reading puzzles. Even the puzzling side of thing, which my personal view is it's probably a little above the seven to eight-year-old range if you were to solve them by yourself, right? But everything was very interactive, even on the puzzling side, apart from the dig it up side. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely is true. I think there was only one puzzle that I thought was a little bit difficult for the age range. I think it's four. But even then, it's not that bad. It is all interactable. Like, there's, I think, only one puzzle where you really don't get, like, a quote-unquote interaction element. But it is still, like, it's a good, like, solid, simpler puzzle. Now, Zach, I know you said that you're a big kid. I kind of feel like a big kid. Our guests coming on the show are definitely big kids as well. And we're going to talk more about that. But the second thing that you and I talked about and that we said we both really liked was this adult-child balance. Let me tell you what I see, and I think you would agree with this as an escape room GM. More often than not, I see parents just completely take over experiences. Or 
I see them drop their kids off at the escape room and expect us to just babysit them. But I feel like this game goes out of its way to prevent both of those things. Yeah, it offers a solution to that problem in terms of, I think the game does a good job of having fun puzzles that do interact both. But if you are someone who doesn't want to be as involved in the experience, you are given actually this solution book or guide and it does have the answers in it, I will tell you. But on the front cover is actually kind of like a introduction to DMing, I would say. What or do you mean by DMing? Like dungeon mastering, like in D&D. Okay. It's essentially like a guide of saying like, okay, you don't have to play the game, but if you want to be more involved and help in terms of being more involved with the game, here are ways that you can help. And it basically gives you the role as the helper where you're like a gatekeeper. Yeah. You like, you can look inside the book and learn some knowledge, but instead of telling, it kind of gives like a guy to be like, okay, well, if you're, if the kids or whoever's playing needs help and you just don't want to tell them the straight up answer, here are questions that you should try to ask them. It's like a creative way of telling people how to give hints without telling them straight up the answer. But then there is the answer sheet. So if you just want to tell them like, yeah, like, you know, you're missing this, but this is what you should be trying to do. It's really good. It just encourages whatever kind of activity in that game by that i mean like like zach said you don't have to play and you can oversee it but what it's trying to get is let's find a balanced way of helping the kids without just like taking the stuff from them and doing it for them yeah because that's what we did we did not you know i'll be honest there were times where i really wanted to oh step in and like help them solve the puzzle quick but it was really enjoyable watching them work through it and seeing their like little minds like tick and have the ahas of like figuring out like, oh, that's a cool key that goes with this or like, oh, like the box has this picture on it. Like it might be more important. And you're like, yeah, like you're getting it. And it was really fun to try to like step back and let them just be creative and try to solve the puzzles. I have a personal hope in my life that my kids will love puzzles as much as I do. And maybe if escape rooms are still around when they're in their 20s, that they could take their old man out to an escape game and we can all play an escape room together. That classic, like, I hope my kids love what I do type of thing. But I think this is a great game to, like, introduce kids of this age into this because most escape rooms are not made for them. Most games that you and I cover on this podcast are not made for them. But we're starting to see some more opportunities for kids to get involved in puzzle solving, riddle solving, mystery solving. And I really like that. And I felt like this game attacked that well to say like, the point of this is the kids. This is not like, if you're an adult listening, I probably wouldn't go out of my way to pick this game up. Right. Like, I mean, if you're like an expert puzzler and you're looking for a challenge, this game is not that this is a game to be played with younger people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the target audience is literally a family of like two adults and kids. Yeah. Our third like really amplifies this, and you talked about this a little, but I like how they visually handled the solution guide. Yes. Because you could have written it out, but they did a really good job of showing you. Talk, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that, Zach. Yeah, so inside of the solution guide is literally the answers to all the puzzles. Now, like Jared has presented, it is not written out. It is purely pictures, so they show you exactly like one picture that shows the answer and then they put like words underneath it like they might put like missing thing equals this so they directly tell you like this is what it should look like and this is the answer so it's very simple in terms even the kids could look at that solution guide and be like okay i get it right so i really like that 
But then also they do a good job of certain puzzles that have more steps to them. They add more photos and do like a step-by-step guide, but they make them all fit in the booklet cleanly where it doesn't feel like I'm looking at like really small photos that felt like they had to fit them in to make them all like make sense. It felt like they did a good job of formatting the solution guide slash hint system of the game to like present it well so that everyone can see it pretty clearly. The inverse of that as we move to our room for improvements is they didn't necessarily give you hint options, right? Correct. They offer a way, yeah, I mean, it is missing a traditional hint system in terms of that, like, there is a place where you can look without seeing the solution. They do offer a version of that in terms of that the guide kind of presents a way to hint for the kids. But even that, like, if you were an adult and you, like, wanted not to look at the answer, there's no way of not doing it. It would, like, you you open the book and instantly shows you the answer. So it would be interesting if they had, like, a hint, an actual hint system where you could look and even, like, the adult could play along in terms of, like, giving them exact hints without telling them the answer. And I think also in talking with the creators, they're, wor- they, they're working on fixing that as well. Like, they recognize that, oh, yeah, that's a good point, like, And they're working with the bigger corporation that produces the game to fix that. But it is something to be pointed out as the game exists as of today that it doesn't that. And we point that out in a lot of our other games. Mm -hmm. And I think we owe it to point it out in this game as well. The other weird thing that we ran into is you can outpace your experience in this game if you're not careful. Yes, the game is made for that you would take time on certain elements. So as an example, the specific mechanic that is the most, I would say the biggest part of the game is the dig it up feature or the mechanism that is created that you are like breaking apart this egg using different tools, right? And there's things inside of that you need. You have to soak it in water. That is like a, I say a mechanic, but it is something you have to do in terms of, it tells you, hey, soak the egg in water for some time while you're solving these puzzles. And the game wants you to solve those puzzles while the egg's soaking so that it becomes soft enough that you could break through it. With these little plastic tools, tools that you have. Yeah, correct. So it makes sense that they they have to try to format it in terms that there is enough time between. But what we learned is that we, the first one we did, the pacing was really good, no issues. But then we noticed, like, in terms of how me and Jared play, we just noticed we we didn't have enough time. So we were trying to make sure we get the full experience in with the kids. We wanted to speed up the game a little bit. So we decided to help them solve the second crate a little faster than they probably would have. And what we found out is that we did it so fast that the egg wasn't soaked enough that it could break easily. Yep. And we had to then use, in essence, the same amount of time. Yes. Just waiting waiting for the... uh, the egg to soak up enough liquid to become breakable. Yes. So that is something that you have to think about. It's hard because it's a mechanic that's kind of on you as the people playing, but it is something just to take note of that you should take your time, try not to rush the experience because there are mechanics in the game with the dig it up part of it that it's required that it needs some time to wait. Yeah. And I, I don't think this, I would call this necessarily a room for improvement more of just like you said, like be aware. Yeah. You just have to know if you're the adult playing this with your kids, allow that time as the game was created, allow that thing to soak in there and give your hints accordingly to when you stop seeing it bubble so much. Yeah. The last one uh, is two is not really a room for improvement just to be aware of, but Zach, there was another party present for this game. And I'm not talking about my littlest son, Briggs. There was another person around that had some comments 
Yes, uh, Jared's wife, Allie. Love her. She's great. She was there, uh, and she noticed that, of course, with the dig it up mechanic, you do rip apart this, like, egg, and it makes a mess. Now, I will tell you, the game very clearly tells you you will want a tarp or something to cover your table or wherever you play this game because it will make a mess. That is what you need to know. This game is a mess when you start to destroy the eggs yes. and get the things that are inside. So make sure that just know going into it that you will make a mess and even putting down tarps, especially if you're playing with young kids, we put down tarp and like, uh, you know, and I think you did like a, a trash bag, trash bag for, yeah. every, for every egg. Yes. But what still happens is the kids get excited and rip into it and they like rip apart the egg and it flies everywhere. So just just know going into it, it does make a mess. I know parents will love the cleanup part of this game, but you can prevent a lot of it if you put something down. And and you have to know my wife a little bit to understand what she was saying. My wife self-titled her biography, which I don't know why we would write a biography about her. I would. I love her. She's but great. Her her self-titled autobiography is called Alexandria Dowenhauer Alley for short a delicate balance of sass and class. Like that is her autobiography. And so her, her comment was, well, when you guys get on the podcast, you give it one star for how messy it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, babe, like calm down. Like, and, and at the end of the day, she, Zach and I took care of it. There was nothing to clean up. It was fine, but it was really funny hearing her reaction from, I'll call it a, a mama's perspective. It's true though. I mean, if you, bought this and you didn't know that was a mechanic, which hopefully you do when you do buy it, there is going to be a mess. So be prepared to prevent as much of it as possible, but there's still going to be a little bit of cleanup. So, you know, I think Jared made this joke off air, but I think it's great. This is a great game. If you're a grandparent who is watching your kids for just a few hours, let them play it and then leave it out so that when the parents come home, they can clean it. That's the ideal situation. Like, Oh, I brought this gay game. We'll play it together. And then you see what really the game entails. And you're like, Oh, I love you. I got to go. See you later. See you later. And you're in your have a wonderful experience under your belt and you leave the mess for your kids. That's life. That's being a grandparent from what I hear. That's how it is. I'm looking forward to that for sure. Maybe we'll still be doing this podcast when we're grandparents. That would be crazy. (laughs) I'd be down for it though. Welcome to season 27 of the podcast. Uh, Zach has had his midlife crisis. (laughs) Jared just got hip replacement surgery and <laughs> let's, go. let's go, but we're still talking puzzles. Yep. That'll, people are on Mars. Who knows what will happen in 27 years? True. But what you should do, you should hang on with us. Puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Man, I'm just really enjoying Deadbolt Mystery Society games lately. They're just giving me a real sense of nostalgia. Yeah, I've been really enjoying them. My favorite part about them is they just feel balanced. You get a little bit of an escape room, a little bit of a murder mystery. It kind of reminds me of those cartoon TV shows I grew up on. Same. There's one I'm specifically thinking of. It kind of involves a dog and some humans in it. Oh, the Jetsons. I love that show. Okay, close but wrong. No, they kind of like solve mysteries together. Oh, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, they don't solve mysteries. Courage literally does random things. Jared, I was specifically trying to tell you it's Scooby-Doo. 
that doesn't sound right. No, 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 Blue's Clues. Okay, they are solving puzzles and mysteries, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Well, at least the good thing for our listeners is if you like adult Scooby-Doo, you can play a Deadbolt Mystery Society game. And when you want to go purchase one, you can put in the promo code PC15 for 15% off subscriptions and single one-time boxes. No, I've got it. It's Air Bud. Jared, that's a real-life dog. That's not even animated, and he doesn't even solve crimes. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Just to reiterate that ad, make sure you guys use promo code PC15 for 15% off your next Deadbolt Mr. Society subscription or one-time single box. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with that at all. Nope. Zach, are you ready for what we're talking about today? Am I ever ready? Uh, you were ready last week, if I'm not mistaken. Well, you told me it, so yes. <laughs> but outside of that, I'm never, I guess I am somewhat ready because you can't surprise me too much. But I do have no idea what you're talking about in if terms you, of the middle section. If you had to guess, what do you think we're talking about? Games made for kids. Oh, you're on point. Wow. Hard to figure that one out. <laughs> no context whatsoever for yeah. that. If you had to look back through all of the other games that we've played, has there been anything close to what we played today with a Dragon's World that felt as kid-friendly? If you were to either say, hey, I want eight, let's call it eight to 12-year-olds, play it by themselves, or have a parent play along with previous knowledge. Yeah, in terms of the ones that we've played on the podcast, there isn't many or really at all. If I had to make an argument for one, though, I would think it would be Hink's Elevator. Really? Why? Format and style, I think it fits a kid's game. I think the puzzles that were in it were not crazy difficult. I think it has a fun element that you have like the online solution part and the stuff in person that the kids can be involved and you'd have a good time. Now, do I think it's like mostly targeted at kids? No, but I think what the difference is that I think it's more like a dragon's world or the crack the crate in terms of it could be played with a family and it would work really well. So then that, that's interesting on Higgs. I, th I think I could see it from a thematic standpoint, but I still think most of the puzzling material would probably be a little bit above that age range, but I won't fight you too hard on that. But I want to pick your brain, and I have some thoughts as well on okay. what do you need in your game if you're going to target this type of audience? And remember, again, this game was not made just for, hey, here, 8 to 12-year-old, go play this by yourself. But how can creators be more inclusive of younger players in their games? What are, what, what's some advice that you would give? I think you just have to add more interactability. And I'm not saying like the game has to fully be interactable. I just think giving kids things to mess with. So you mean more like tangible, items. tangible items. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, and not paper. I mean, like give them like crates to open, give them boxes, give them a tool. I, I think they need that stuff just because I think giving them like a piece of paper and being like, solve this puzzle. That reminds me of homework. I don't right. know if I, like, as a kid would, if I went back to my eight-year-old self, would want to just get a bunch of pieces of paper with puzzles on them. You wouldn't want to be like, oh, here, let me teach you what a Caesar shift puzzle is, and here's 40 letters for you to decrypt. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> so, yeah, I think what Crack the Crate does really well is that I think it does that, has that, like, tangibility, but also, like, that discovery element where it lets the kid explore and be creative and figure out, like, how to open some things up, like, how to deal with certain things. But what they do well is they interact certain puzzles and clues and stuff so that there's more than just picking apart things. It's 
this like, okay, well, you know, you're going to be able to open that box up, but let's figure out what the the solution to this riddle is. Yes. And then, you know, as parents and kids, you can work together to try to help them get these connections between these puzzles. And what I thought was really interesting with these, with specifically this game is I thought they did a really good job of making puzzles that made the kids think a little bit and like work and flow through it, but also had the adults be able to help and also challenge them a little bit. Cause there was like one puzzle that I actually thought was like, this takes a little bit to think about. Like, I mean, I could see that kids could get it. It wouldn't be crazy difficult if you give them enough time. But I was like, that's actually really cool that not just giving like, okay, the answer's blue. Like, you know, it's like so simple that you're like, okay, this isn't a challenge. It's just open up the crate. Right. And they're all different. Like we had a bunch of variety when it came to the puzzles. It wasn't the same like, okay, like in terms of the solutions you were looking for, they were kind of the same because of how the answer cards worked. But you were like the tools you use, like in one of them, you needed like this key but in another one, you had like this map and this riddle that went with it, but you need to know how to like decipher it. And it was simple, which is what I found really cool is that there's these puzzles that we see, but they've almost simplified them so that it's like, okay, this is a deciphering puzzle, you know, and you have to decode it. And it's something we see very common, but they make it simple where it's like, oh, it, the decipher those for like two letters or like a sound. Yeah. And you go like, okay, just add in that sound. So, you know. Like an example, it could be for day. I'm just going to say a word, but like, you know, so they would give you FRI, but then it would be like this symbol and you'd be like, oh, I add in day. So it's like Friday. And I thought it was really creative. I I thought it added a lot of fun in terms of that the kids could be more involved in tangible items, but then also give them puzzles that are fun to interact with. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, I've got a couple of other ones that I would add. I want to see if you agree with them. Okay. One thing that I think is huge, my wife and I have discovered this because we've played a few escape games with the kids, is kids love the task, not the puzzle. Agreed. So if Allie and I can figure out the puzzle, which is more often than not above their heads, but we tell them like, oh, hey, go throw that knife switch up. Or, you know, hit the green button, then the red button, then the blue button. Then they're they love that. Then they're fighting each other to be able to input answers or mess with the mechanisms. Yeah, no, it's a great. I mean, that's what we saw in our game was that we basically like would help guide them at points to solve some of the puzzles. But every moment that it involved an egg and the the dig it up mechanic or opening up the crate, they really wanted to do it. Yes. Literally, Elijah and Ava would get up from their seats and try to go more towards the item. And, you know, they'd get upset with each other. They're like, hey, I've had this for like 20 seconds. I want to keep it more. Don't let him like have a chance yet. Or like they were like, well, what if they answer it, though, in the time that they have it? You know, they were like getting upset that they couldn't have it all the time. And that's how I think I feel like I knew that blue matter nailed it is my kids were fighting over it. Yes. Like clearly you've got them hook, line and sinker. They were engaged from the moment we started opening up the boxes and then they saw that first egg and it was game over. Yes. Uh, the, the other thing that I, I think you have to play for with kids is more of the aha moment and not necessarily the moment of solution. Yes. Um, because kids latch onto that and that aha moment comes from the moment of connection. Yes. So as soon as my son said, Oh, this picture is here or this amulet, it goes here. That was as fun, if not more fun than him, than coming up with the solution that we needed to move the game forward. Yes. So I would say my, one of my words of advice would be like, 
play towards those big aha moments Agreed. with kids because that is more meaningful to them. And honestly, their theories were important to them. Yes. Like, oh, this this is this shape and this. And some of them are from far off left field being a parent. But I'm like, how many times do Zach and I sit in here and come up with some left brain theory for solving more of a in-depth, wordier puzzle, yada, yada. But I think we all just lose sight of the fact sometimes that we're just bigger kids. Sometimes it was difficult for us to play in terms of like we wanted to speed up things because we knew what it like what involved in the answer. But like we had talked about, it's really fun watching their little brains work it out. Like I had as much fun sitting there watching them as when I usually play because it, it was fun like seeing like almost younger me like try to do this. That was really cool. They got the aha moment. Like they're enjoying this. They get to have the experience that like I wish I potentially would have had if I had this game and I was like like that age. And I think they'll remember it. And the other thing that I think is super important is there's got to be that McDonald's toy moment. Yeah, I think giving them like a prize at the end of the game definitely is very useful. Or like a, it's the same thing we get though with like collector's games or certain uh, like editions of things. Is That's a good point. That collector's item or that thing you can present feels really cool. So people go out of their way to like get them. There's people who buy certain games because it has that element. And it makes sense. Because it is really cool to be like, this is something I can put up on my wall or on my shelf and I can show it off from a game I played. The kids want that, but more. Yeah. They want like, okay, can I get like really cool gems and, you know, like this amulet thing, you know, like whatever. Every time we opened up something and there was another thing for them to have after the game was over, they were fighting who would have it. Or like, oh, I'll take those color gems, but you can have these or yes, whatever it was. That's what I was going to bring up. And then, you know, they were really hooked when the negotiations began. It was hilarious watching yeah. them talk about like who would get what. You keep that in your room, but I want three gems and you can keep two, but I get the big thing, but you can have the small thing. Mm -hmm. The diplomacy in yes. action over the stuff. And I was wondering the whole time, like, I want a gem. <laughs> I, I we were able to cure this game or Zach and I walking away with nothing here yes that's but that was funny because Zach and I or I should say Zach you know meticulously uh packed up the puzzle elements which the kids cared nothing about it was funny that <laughs> as they were like so involved with the egg I literally just packed up the rest of the actual game they didn't question me cleaning up any of the other stuff they were just like yeah we got our cool things like you guys can do the rest of this we don't care about that much anymore after this point Zach what do you think are some temptations to put in a kid's game that just don't belong. That's hard. I don't have anything off the top of my head. The thing I would think of though is just puzzles. Like I think interactability is always good when it comes to kids games. I, I think there really isn't too much of a wrong with putting more interactability. My only thing is in terms of how these games function, I think the puzzles have to be simpler, but unique and like variable. What I would be scared of in temptation is they go, okay, well, let's put like a really cool item, but let's make like no puzzles in the game. It's literally like a dig it up or like the puzzles are like, then it's not a game. Correct. Or like the puzzle is like, what color do you see? Like they're like so simple that an actual two year old could get it. Yes. You know, that's where I would find like a temptation where they go like, oh, it's for kids. Like it doesn't really matter that we had anything like in terms of engaging other than the like interactability element. But then it becomes like all the other like toys and kids things that you can buy for your kid that are literally like the dig it up mechanic where it's like the treasure toys where like you rip it apart and you find an item inside. You know, if you want to make like a, an, a, an escape room style game with that mechanic, there has to be fun and unique 
puzzles that are interactable with the environment in terms of like maybe the environment, like you can make it where it works around you, but also like the actual elements that come in the box. I'm going to throw a curveball at you because I have two, but one of them is something we talk about a lot. I think there's a temptation to put even a moderately complex narrative. The kids were excited that it was dragons. They could not care less what was happening on the story cards. That is true. There was a narrative to this game and it isn't like complex for us, but I mean, I can understand that for the kids, it was just enough of a narrative that it was too much like for them. Like it was like a thing of like, I mean, the narrative literally is like, you're trying to find this missing baby dragon. Darkness has taken over Over. the land, but they don't care about that. They're like, Oh, there's a baby dragon. Let's get the baby dragon. Let's get the baby dragon. So yeah, I could agree that like, you really don't need to add that much of a narrative. You literally can make it pretty simple. And as long as that, like, what that thematic narrative is, is engaging to a, a kid or a younger, uh, like a young teenager, whatever your target audience is in terms of like the kid range. The other pitfall that I felt like as I was talking through this in my head, I was like, I think I would have a tendency maybe to build a game that I thought was on level and it might come off to kids as like condescending or mm. talking down yeah, I could see that. To them, like, I don't think you spare them the complexity, right? Because more often than not, what I have found with my children is that everything is a learning opportunity. Yeah. Right? If something is too hard, we treat that as a learning opportunity. If we're successful in something, we do it. But what I think annoys kids and adults alike is when <laughs> the other day I put my son Elijah as a joke in Briggs's little dinner seat. Yeah. Um, and you would have thought that I like said something super offensive. I mean, he did not want to be treated like a little toddler because yeah. he's in the first grade now. You don't want to be talked down to like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter who you are, what age it's not fun. If someone did it to me, oh boy, is and it a kids, fun time. Kids can sense that very easily. So yeah. I felt like most of the puzzles in this game were above them, but I think they were okay with that. Like, I I think it would have been worse if it was like super dumbed down. Yeah. If it was like a connect the dots and what picture does that make? Or no, I agree. It definitely is an interesting element because just like kids and adults, you have to find that perfect level that it challenges someone, but not enough that it makes you feel stupid, but also not easy enough that you feel like it's a joke. Yeah. That's a really hard balance for a lot of people because especially with kids too, is like the moment that the kid doesn't want it, like it's too hard for the kid. It's over. The whole experience is over because for them, I don't think it's like an adult where you're like, you take in more into consideration. A lot of the other elements where you're like, Oh, I paid like $30 for this. I like put away time for this. Like you would still be like, I don't want to play it really anymore. And you can make that cause you're like, you're the adult in the scenario, but like kids, the moment that it's too difficult for them and it's not fun. That is the worst experience for a kid. Yeah. Because that is all of their fun instantly gone. Like I even know that when we talked to the creators a little bit about it, it's like, you never want to see the kid just like give up and let the other people like play the game. Because that's not the point of this. Like you want it to be just difficult enough that it does challenge them and makes them learn and have fun and have those aha moments, but not easy enough that they go like, Oh, this is like made for little, little kids. Right. Yeah. Cause it's the experience is already engaging enough. And I find that when I play video games with my kids, like 
we played a lot of Luigi's Mansion 3 together. Yep. And the most thrilling part of that game for me was, oh, there's some dope puzzles in here. Like, the yep. story is cool. They couldn't care anything else but about chasing ghosts. Yep. It was all about chasing ghosts, about what King Boo was doing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that level of excitement and in some case chaos yeah. that, that really, that really sucks them in. I think those are good overall. I'm sure there's more, if you're out there and you've built a kid's game, we would love some more pointers on this. Cause again, we've talked about this in some recent episodes. I think this is a area I'd like to see more stuff in. I think kids are really smarter than we give them credit for and they need to be challenged and games like these are perfect opportunities for them to do something tangible and to try to get them to make connections and yep. do things that will benefit them as they continue their education. Agreed. Well, that's going to really wrap us up for Puzzles to the People. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, in the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation, and by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to Escape Dash the dash crate.com and use code puzzling co puzzling co all one word and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have well welcome back everybody to puzzling company here in the deadbolt mystery society studio today we've got some friends coming back and I don't know if people know this about this maybe Zach and I haven't talked about enough about this but our goal is in year two to every month have one returning guest from season one. So we'll mm-hmm. have 12 returning guests this year, 40 new guests mm-hmm. is our ultimate goal. And we're really excited about having Nick and Rebecca back from Blue Matter Games. We got to talk to them last year about the Cursed Dollhouse. Mm-hmm. They were on the recon panel with us. They are just fun people. Oh, yes. And as you'll get to see and hear some debate on a little, they're big kids. Yes. And we appreciate that greatly. But I do, again, I don't like wasting too much time about us talking about them. Let's jump right back in into getting to know them. And first of all, you guys, thanks for being here. And we want to know what in the world y'all have been up to. We, we talked to y'all about, I think it was six months ago, like I said, when we were doing the dollhouse. But what's new? Huh. So it's a, uh, it's, it's tricky. What can we share just yet? <laughs> We've had a lot of stuff hit. I think art of murder was not it. We were not allowed to talk about that last time. That was a crazy fun romp because it was kind of a family endeavor because all of a sudden we had to like wrap it up and we'll say what it is first. Oh, sorry. (laughs) So, so art of murder is, um, uh, from university games. It's a, it's a murder mystery, solve the murder mystery, but their, their brand is a jigsaw puzzle with a murder board and you get five smaller jigsaws to, to solve and you have to figure out who committed the murder and our take on this was, um, it's called The Art of Murder. So ours is about a gallery owner who is murdered, but he is putting on a show called The Art of Murder. And he's got six murder artists who are portraying their work. So their work is throughout the jigsaw. Um, and you get to see what each of them does. One of them is a, a murderista. 
meaning that she makes death lattes. So you get art in the latte <laughs> and they're selling the NFT for her first one, uh, the non-fungible token. First one. Their first one. Yeah, you got to <laughs> get that right. One of the persons uh, does death stills, so pictures of dead people, somebody paints with blood. So each one of them has a different take on what they do. And the story starts off with um, they open the, the doors for the gallery to, to, for this big show. And the gallery owner is he's impaled on on one of the pieces of art. Right. And the artist says, I did it. And then the other artists all say, no, 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 I did it. And the virtual auction is jacking up their artwork and value. <laughs> so it's sort of a reverse murder mystery. You have to prove that five people didn't do it. Nick and Rebecca, you know, we're talking about the crack the crate, a dragon's world. We're dying to know how playtesting went for this game. Because it was messy. Oh, yeah. It was super challenging. It was because we were in the middle of COVID as well. Mm. And so some of the early play tests on it, I had made some plaster balls. I got some molds for that. And the Dig It Up product is really cool because if you just did plaster, it was like nearly impossible to actually, you know, carve into it. So we were having a hard time gauging that experience until we got some other samples that were actually just blanks that we could just see. Uh, that it, so it was almost like a a three like three in on the waves of play well, testing. We finally got eggs with something in them. I think so. we should probably describe for the listeners. Oh, uh, uh, so the product is a uh, Dragon's World comes with. It's there. called Crack the Crate, and it comes with three crates that are inside of it. But it, but it's using a Mindware's Dig It Up Dig It technology. So not technology. Well, there's a product word. They're, they have little eggs that you dig up, dinosaurs or creatures or whatnot. So you're an archaeologist and they wanted to make an escape room around that for kids. So there's three digs in each box. And so that's what you're referring to is what those digs are. And so it was challenging that Rebecca, what she was saying was she made she made one, but it was too darn hard. The kids couldn't get into it. So we actually had to hand them the components that were inside. There, one of them, he took an axe and was, oh, I should, well, he, he has his own axe. That's another story. He's trying to cut. We're like, that nah, could slip. Is your dad watching? And but through some of those original, well, actually, uh, one of the hard ones was they sent us. They sent us a set to test, and the and the final egg didn't. Oh, have we're its promising it was horrible. It have, we're promising the, the kids. Oh yeah, there's a dragon in there because we thought there was a dragon in there, and we looked like the big liars because there was no dragon. Oh. We're like, we promise we'll give you a dragon, really. Yeah. Yeah. The the what made the playtesting challenging was trying to really get it to the level of the people playing. So it's designed for a family of four, mom, dad, and two kids, or or a parent, two parents and two kids, or a couple more. But um, the just the keeping the parents engaged at the right level, because one of our play sets, the parents just walked away. Like they didn't participate. And they had three and kids. And we're like, ooh, this is and not the just kids for... were having some interesting dynamics going between them as oh, like to the, who was the in older, control the and who wasn't. So we, we got to see some... And then them telling games. like it was that one that play test was hilarious because well or uncomfortable I don't know how we because the youngest he was four no he's no, he was he, four he was four and five. he nailed every single like puzzle. he actually was like that's the answer but then his older siblings ignored him and so it was just this <laughs> fascinating like like steady on like sibling order because we're just like oh my god this kid has nailed it every time but you can't say anything while you're play testing so you're just like uh. And then also getting the, the puzzles to the right level. So Because the last thing we want is for kids to feel dumb. What you can 
put together for adults is a little different than, you know, last thing you want to do is to have a, a child except like, cause that was for me growing up. That was one of my, my, th- I had to get out of my own way as an adult because there were things that I convinced I, I, I was dyslexic as a kid and in the seventies, they didn't really flag it. So I just assumed I was stupid and not until I was like 30, did I find out that my mom's like, Oh, you were dyslexic as a kid, but we had you fixed. And I was like, ah, interesting. Cause back in the seventies, you go to crawling school and they fix that for you. And mm. you know, so it's like, for me, I was like, we have to be very careful because the last thing we want to do is have a child sit back and let the other kids solve it because somehow they feel dumb because they didn't get it, you know, so. And and so we came up with um, the the main thing we learned from doing this project was normally in an escape product, puzzle product, it's all about solving. And what we realized is that for this, it needed to be about discovery. So, and, and that's a subtle difference, but it's huge. It's, oh, we discovered that there's a new way to do things. We discovered that there's this, this element that I didn't understand. So it's more about learning something, not learning, but just, discovery just captures it. Discover a new way to do things. So part of our pitch was to say, it's really one line. It's like, yeah, you're, it's an escape room where you get to rescue, eight-year-olds get to rescue a baby dragon. Yeah. It's like, do I need to say any more? <laughs> and, and that's what we were really focused on was that experience and trying to remove that with the playtesting, it was removing every barrier mm-hmm. out of the way of that experience. Because some puzzles, they necessarily have to, if they're going to be for an eight-year-old, they're not necessarily going to challenge a parent. But we're mm-hmm. you know trying to go for that age appropriate. And yet be challenging. Enough. And yet, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting line to run. Yeah. You know? So what was it like integrating and working with Dig It Up to create this experience? We were so excited when they brought it up to us because to build an escape room, you can only put so much in the box. So the idea that you could actually have this really cool interactive aspect to it. Yeah. What they said was we, we want something with the eggs. And so we came back with like four, four ideas. proposals yeah. and uh, FYI, we're working on number two right now. It's what we call the sandbox is mm-hmm. with that what normally any idea is possible. And that's a little hard to push up against. So as soon as we get the sandbox, it's like, okay, now we can pile that sand really high and make the castle. So starting with that. So they were like, okay, it has to, if it's going to go in the egg, it has to be smaller than this. And and so we had kind of assets. So we're like, oh, how could we put something that's going to flow the story along, that's going to fit in the egg, that has to be used with maybe two puzzles. Yeah. And so we... We really kind of worked worked through that. But there was, well. there was a step before that, which made it really challenging, was um, that it takes a certain amount of time. You have to soak the egg in order to make it soft enough to dig. So we had to design it where you got the egg early enough to put it in the water while you solved another puzzle. That puzzle had to be long enough to let that egg soak long to enough. To keep the time. Like and then that. when you're doing the egg, and the, the star of the product is the dig it. But right out of the gate, if it takes 10 minutes to dig each egg, and we have an hour and a half or two hour experience, we've already got a half hour is dedicated to digging. And then we need another half hour for soaking. It really set us a framework that we had to build around that each crate needed to take, it needs to take you a certain amount of time before you open it. So then you put the egg in the water and then you solve the next puzzle. And that puzzle has to take a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. but we also have to accommodate pe- people who get them very quickly or people who take a little longer. It's a, that's really what was hard was the pacing to create that that flow that that kept people moving and moving and not looking around and getting bored. So in season two, we always ask our guests a question to get to know them as a 
individual or as a puzzling pair a little bit more. And I want to know between both of you, who's the big kid? Who is the, the one that you would label as like, this is not an adult, but this is a 40 year old child, whatever. Is it Nick or is it Rebecca? What would each of you say to that? Depends. <laughs> See, I would say maybe you're the bigger kid. I might be the bigger kid, but there's a, there's a part of me. I I, I, I egg him on though. So I don't, I don't really, know. We used to say that I was always eight years old, but then I realized that I could be as old as I am and as young as I, as I've been. And so there's a beauty of being able to go into all those spaces. So yes. at my current age, I got to work on a game that I got to design a game for my eight year old self. And that's, that's the beauty of being able to tap in, but also be the adult. Or- yeah, because recently we got stuck on the other side of the Donner Pass, and he did pull out like the cool dad energy that got those chains on those tires. And so, you know, so he can flip flop big in between. Yeah. So, but then again, I, I don't know. You got, yeah. you got, I do egg too. him on though, because I'm, yeah. So who's a bigger kid? I'd say you. Well, well, you're like nine years old, I can be on to be eight. <laughs> <laughs> We are very aware of that energy, yeah. and, and that's that's part of the power is to say, okay, if we're designing for a young audience, what did I want? And then there's that element of of being mature enough to be able to say, or have ex- enough experience to say, what does it mean to make this mass market? What does this mean to make it accessible, accessible to more, to more, more and more kids. people? That, yeah. yeah, I read lots of maze books and puzzle books, and and what you guys were describing earlier was there's experience with puzzles. So this is this might be a kid's first escape room that that is not at a super high level, where it's like doing a puzzle lock. Once you've done a few of them, you know some of the tricks, you know some of the mechanisms. They don't have the puzzle vocabulary, such as uh, you know queuing. We've put a color and a color, and those pieces go together. There you don't know that that's a tool yet. Whereas you guys, of course, know that you're like, hey, I see that same blue over here. I bet these two go together. And it, and it's fun to create that experience for the aha. That's really what we're going for is not to say I got it right, because that's from my perspective, that's not what puzzles are about. It's about that's really cool. That's neat. Well, and I think that opens kids' minds to that, too, because I think a lot of times kids wrap get wrapped up because of school in being right versus that aha moment. Or that so, you're supposed to color within supposed, the lines. To, that, it's a speed contest who yeah. does it faster or whatever. So. Um, hopefully these will open the eyes to kids that they they can slow down a little bit and explore and play. Yeah. I use the analogy of when I don't like putting a timer on a puzzle because, well, it's like when you eat cheesecake, do you put a one minute timer and you have to shove the whole piece in your mouth or do you take a little (laughs) while and enjoy it? Right. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And and there are puzzles. I know I could sit and crack them in, in, in three minutes, but it's much more fun to explore the outside and, and take an hour. It's a different way to enjoy them. So the the other part about this this season is we do a question where you have to choose between Zach and I. And in this game, we know that you're cracking open dragon eggs. And I want to know who you think between Zach and I would be able to open those up quicker. Now, let me, I, I know you could see Zach and I, but let me let me tell you a little bit about us before you make your decision. I would say that Zach works out regularly as a part of his routine. I do not, I struggle in that world, but I, I feel like I bring a lot of uh, strategy and, and might want to attack the egg from that, whereas Zach might be more of like a, a brute force type of route, but don't let that influence you too much. Who, who would you pick? 
What's really funny is before you gave that big spiel, I was I was actually picking Zach anyways because he seems more calm and systematic. Where I think you're you're kind of like your inside angle might slow you down. Where I think steady, slow, and steady might just do it for him. My 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 response is also Zach because he's not going to keep looking at your egg to see how far you've gone. But you're gonna be looking at his. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> So one of the things we really enjoy about getting to talk to you guys is you guys hint and tease us with games you guys are currently creating that you can't talk too much about or give detail, but as much as you can and as vague as you can, can you tell us what's next? Actually, we have one that just uh, came up was uh, Queen's Gambit, the game. It's been a hoot. It's, it's, it's like been really things. funny to, to read because we knew right out of the gate, uh, so it's based on the TV show, and there was a Who tweet. I was a huge fan of. So there was a tweet like, that came out when when the board game came out, and the guy said, so there's a game about chess, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? What is it? Chess? And it's actually very different. But it got, but, it got over half a million retweets. Like, likes, that's funny. And it created this yeah. whole run that yeah, actually the, the New York Times covered that tweet. Uh-huh. We're like, and sweet. They covered all the the stuff that picked on it, but there were a lot of people that said it's not chess. That's the point. Yeah, that's and true. but designing the game, we knew out of the gate that we couldn't make a chess variant. That wasn't going to cut it. Chess people would hate it. Mm-hmm. So um, that but was they, a fun. Yeah, but they're interested in escape rooms. It's it, well, that's a thinking yeah. game. It's uh, we we yeah, based it, it off of in the TV show when she's. Uh, she it. looks up at the ceiling and all the pieces are moving. So the yeah, game is built on that. on that scene. So it's a programming game. You're you're having to figure out how you're going to move your gambit around the board to scoop up all the pieces and block your opponents before they scoop up all the good pieces. That, that was a fun sandbox to work in. But as far as like rumors or whatever, so uh, number four with Think Fun's coming right on the edge of coming out. So that's that's yeah. What can we say about then, that? They're doing. They're, we just got some. Uh, we're starting to see some of the artwork. Crack the Crate. Crack the Crate we're working on, yep. And And we're working on our next uh, murder mystery puzzle, too. And then we have a really big licensed game coming out in August. It'll be... That's another one that's like, Dig It Up had had a product before, so a company approached us with a unique mechanism that they wanted us to build an escape room around. So once that's ready to share, Mm -hmm. they're they're just, they've just come out with the artwork on that. We just want to say thank you guys so much for coming back. Yes, thank you. We look forward to hanging out with y'all in the future. Y'all are just so much fun to get to talk about all this stuff with. Uh, Again, these are the creators of Blue Matter Games. You can find them at Blue Matter Games. The game itself, Crack the Crate, Dig It Up, A Dragon's World, is available on Amazon. That's probably the best place that our viewers can find there. Mm -hmm. Go grab a copy there, and that will benefit Nick and Rebecca, as as you've heard, as they're working on all these other cool secretive projects. Yes. Zach, how can our listeners be helpful to us? Yeah, there's a few different ways that you can support the puzzling company. The first thing you can do is you can actually go support us on Patreon. We have three different tiers that you can help and support us with, different levels for differing rewards and things and interactability you guys can do with us playing games. And I got to say this real quick. Our middle tier and our upper tier, we're doing our quarterly event. We do a quarterly event kind of like for all of us to get together and to do something together in a community. We're teaming up and we're squatting up to take on the Cryptex hunt. Yes. So these are the type of things that we want people to sign up to Patreon so that we can all be involved in together. We have some really cool stuff planned for future quarters. And I think everybody should hop in on this because right now we've got a good small team and I'm super pumped to see how we handle it. 
yeah, for sure. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. There's two other things you can do. You can go to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a five-star review. If that's Google, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, wherever it is that you do listen to this podcast, make sure you go leave us a review. We'd super appreciate it. And the final thing you can do is go follow us on social media. You can go to Facebook at Puzzling Company or Instagram at Puzzling Company to see posts for new episodes, as well as if you ever want to just talk with us and have a discussion, you can uh, email us at contact at puzzlingcompany.com. Well, Zach, we always give a tease at the end about what's coming next week. Mm -hmm. What's coming next week? It's a great question. I'm totally not going to look over at the other table and see that it's <laughs> Detective City of Angels from Van Ryder Games. I'm super pumped about this. It's a gigantic box as well as it weighs a ton. So yeah. I'm very intrigued. I, I can't wait to dig into this again. Back to our crime ways here at Puzzling Company. It's half of our heart. And I can't wait to see what's going on with this game. This was recommended to us by... Uh, someone in the puzzle people group they got us in contact with them and there's going to be something very special about next week's interview something that we've never done before so stay tuned and we'll see you guys next week see you guys thanks for listening find us on social media at puzzling company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. check back weekly for new episodes until next time keep puzzling This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.